So I have a perpetual hole in my lip, and then I have shit go down the wrong pipe all the time, so I completely understand. Completely understand that. Uh, I have just, I have a tendency to drool on myself. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, hi, hello, and welcome to another episode of History of the MCU, the podcast that covers anything and everything MCU-related. I'm one of your hosts, Jake, but you probably know me as Lord Anarchy or Lord of Thunder, but at this point, you may also know me as Agatha. And I am the Slim Reaper, the Dragon of Purgatory Chasm, Sorceress Supreme, Scarlet Bitch, X-Gene Incubator, the Power Stroker, Jenny, motherfucking Mac. As always, I fucking love you. Love you so much. Quick spoiler warning, this is a rewatch podcast, so we will potentially be talking about any of the MCU movies, one-shots, TV shows, tie-in comics, and this week we'll be covering the third episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, titled Power Broker. I'm excited to get to the theory section to talk about that. Before we get into the new episode this week, we wanted to take a moment to discuss the mental health aspect of the show. One of our Twitter followers, I'm just going to say the letters here because I don't know what exactly it's supposed to be. <laughs> right, Zgegfu. <laughs> <laughs> it's at S-Z-E-G-F-U underscore. And they pointed us to a great thread by another Twitter user, Made in AWSM. Made of Awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Probably. You know, I'm, not good with that. I'm not good with that yeah. shorthand shit. The same way I call it, Zach will never let me live this down. I said Z Axel instead of Z Alex. Zaxel. Zaxel uh, yeah. and Raxel. I get it. It's, though. Yeah, it's because Raxel, you know what I'm saying? And like, yeah. when I read things, like I have names and stuff in my mind. And there are times when I hear people actually say it and I'm like, damn, I was wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. But that's okay. That's okay. Uh, but yeah, if we learn, we get loves. Yes, yes, one hundred percent. But but I'm gonna let Jenny take the lead on this because she was the one that has been vehemently against the therapist Christina Rayner in our previous episodes. <laughs> but I do have a few thoughts before she jumps into this thread that we found on Twitter and her own thoughts about it. So I mentioned on I think it was our first episode um, that I may not have the best perspective for this because I've never been to therapy. And she definitely did get the results from Bucky. But after reading this thread, like I just mentioned, I still really do like Christina Rayner as a character, but she is a super shitty therapist. Plot wise, she's certainly gotten the job done as we needed Bucky to open up. We needed him to talk about some things, but she's such a bad therapist. We did kind of get into this in the couple scene between Sam and Bucky, which in the context of the show was really great. But as Jenny mentioned in that last episode, it's wildly, wildly unprofessional. Yeah. So to jump in, after reading this thread by Twitter user at Made of Awesome or Made of AWSM, who proclaims themselves a therapist and given their in-depth analysis, I do believe them. I yeah. felt super validated my maledictions toward Dr. Rayner in the show. Before I dive in, I want to touch upon why I think any of this is worth even talking about in the first place. Yep. So Falcon and the Winter Soldier is pretty upfront about its treatment of race, which is an immensely important issue always. Now, I have questions about the way this other hot button issue is being handled, obviously that one of mental health and mental health care. Now, in this show, we even take it a step further by adding a combat veteran or a trauma patient or both into this shitstorm soup. 
not even just a, a combat veteran, but a super no. soldier that's a hundred plus years old, you know, so that that is a whole other aspect to add to it as well. Right. A super soldier who's a hundred plus years old who was made to murder people yep. outside of his own free will and volition, yep. like literally used as a tool. So that yes. is another piece of this what I'm calling the shitstorm soup. So are they completely missing the mark and feeding into these detrimental stigmas surrounding mental health in the US or are they spot on with the poor state of mental health care? And again, especially as far as veterans are concerned. Yep. Now, Jake and I think it probably is a commentary. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we kind of wrap up this section. But for now, I'm going to give some highlights of the thread that I think will point out how poor Bucky is being grossly mishandled by his therapist or grossly mistreated rather, because I think handled is a is a very poor choice of words. There. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and yeah. I'll make sure that we I know that there it was on history of the MCU, but I'll make sure to get this retweeted so that y'all can definitely see the thread in its entirety. Yeah, it's it's worth reading. It's really good. Oh, yeah, definitely was. Yeah. So then again, we're going to dive a little bit more into our own thoughts on the topic. But let's start off with the sterile office. We talked a little bit about the picture behind it. And while yes, it's nice. I, I definitely mentioned when we talked about it, the environment is very sterile. Our Twitter therapist, I'm going to refer to them as, <laughs> said that a trauma patient would likely need a more welcoming environment versus this sterile and imposing place. Now, Dr. Rayner calls Bucky Mr. Barnes and then James. Bucky's already having an identity crisis. Yep. And they've been working together for six months and she can't even be consistent with how she addresses him. It seems like she doesn't even know what his preference is, which is something that they should have talked about, especially with her knowing that he's probably got these identity issues. So yep. that's an issue. Maybe he wants to be called the White Wolf for Christ's sakes. Like Fucking, we don't. Yes. Right. Y'all know how I feel about the White Wolf. Oh, yeah. Yes. And if he wants her to call him the White Wolf for his therapy, for his new identity, she should fucking call him that. So agreed. Bucky's still clearly lying through his teeth clamming up or emitting information in his appointments. And after six months, he clearly doesn't feel like he can trust this woman or feel supported in this environment. <laughs> the pen and the fucking notebook trigger. <laughs> Which was one thing that even, even I was, with my limited perspective, I made note of in that first yes, episode. Exactly. So hugely worked up about this. She uses it as a power play. It emphasizes the lack of control Bucky's had in his life and the lack of control Bucky still has regarding his quote-unquote re recovery mm -hmm. in therapy. She makes light of his weaponized arm, which is a part of Bucky that feeds into this identity crisis and this struggle of accepting himself and his body and yep. who he is and what he's responsible for or not responsible for. In that for. first episode, we even see that on the date where he's got the gloves on and and says that, you know... Yes. Like he, I forgot what he said exactly, but he had he told he gave his data reason for yeah, circulation. circulation, yeah, which is why he's wearing yeah. gloves and shit. So, yeah, that's I think is a great point, and that's a really good point that you just made. I'm glad you brought that up. The rules that she has in place are very much like a military directive, and our Twitter therapist here also says the rules feel like a way to sign off on liability only, which we definitely felt yep. that vibe for the first two episodes off of uh, Dr. Rayner. Bucky's being forced to make amends for actions over which he had no control or agency. As hard of a pill as this is to swallow, Bucky is also yes. a victim in this situation. And he's being made to atone for ultimately yes, Hydra's actions. I mean, that's something that we've definitely taken note of and why I won't ever... When I've talked about in, in yeah. the, future, uh, the future tournaments that I do, 
I think I might split the Winter Soldier and Bucky Barnes into two separate characters. Like, yes, Bucky Absolutely. is impacted by his actions as the Winter Soldier, but that very much was not ever Bucky. You know what I'm saying? We've we've seen right. Bucky outside of the control of the Winter Soldier, both in the first Avenger and then obviously after he got deprogrammed here in Wakanda. And it, it, it yeah, it impacts his mental, his obviously his mental health and just his his way that he views the world and himself within the context of that world but he didn't like jenny just said he had no control when he was the winter soldier he was very much made he was a victim of of hydra at that point which is yeah it it's yeah that's that's an important point to point out right there yeah and he's being made to atone for being a vic like this is fucked up when you really boil it down to that like whew. and then zemo even like he t- he taunts sam and bucky throughout this episode which is you know i love me some mm-hmm. zemo and i love a sympathetic villain but it's it's one thing that when they first meet he he says the words you know as he comes out of that darkness mm-hmm. um and then when they're on the plane he has the notebook and is reading through that notebook and that clearly obviously is a very touchy subject for bucky so yeah mm-hmm this is going to be Agatha all over again. It's not the therapy that they need, but, or excuse me, it's not the therapy they want, but it's the uh-huh. therapy they need. And, and I definitely, after this episode, think that Zemo's going to be the better therapist oh, for by the time this is 100%. over. Yeah. Dr. Rayner's attitude is constantly condescending and demeaning. She and Bucky have no rapport. Like I said, there's no trust nope. in their relationship. And that just makes her come across as plain nope. mean. She isn't, it, it's not really her quote unquote calling him on his bullshit because there's no therapeutic outcome. For example, she tries to say he has no history and no family, which wrong on both counts, by the way. He he has some very close relationships in Wakanda yep. from something that he said, I think, in the first episode on the yep. date. We can assume he might have siblings yep. who are alive. Like he's he's so wrong yes, and he wrong. Specifically said that his parents are dead and then made the comment about his sisters and he didn't use mm-hmm. them in a past tense sense. Um, and so yeah. I, I think you made the point in that episode that it, it could have been him kind of catching himself and not wanting to give too much away to his right. date. Totally. But also, I mean, there is still the possibility that he's got, especially if his siblings are were younger than him, that they would be 80 or 90 yeah. years old, but could very much still be yeah. alive. Right. And even if even if we were onto something and his siblings aren't alive, he has closed bonds yeah. in Wakanda now. He does have a surrogate family. And. With Steve and Even with as you know, as Sam, Sam now, and, and his relationship can be at times they're still clearly very close with each other, you know. So he's got people, right? In his and life. it's such yes. a brotherly. And then right. even even yeah. Yuri, I mean, he's even though he's built that relationship probably largely off the 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 feeling that he needs to make amendments. That's still a very close bond that he has. So it's not like Bucky doesn't have anybody, right? And that's so insensitive and. And just driving home what he's already feeling. He's already feeling alone. Yes. He's already feeling isolated. Like he can't relate to anybody. And she's just making yes. it worse. And then, and then in, in the couple's therapy session, which again is was wildly unprofessional, he is struggling with the fact that he is – that he feels unworthy now because Sam gave up the yeah. shield. And both Sam and Rainer are not doing anything to help that feeling at all. No. And I think, I, I think for Sam, it's important as a part of yes. his journey and the yes. narrative. For the therapist, it's important for us to understand that she's a fucking terrible yes. therapist because I don't want people. We'll get into why. We'll get into why. So 
we'll get into the entire Sam debacle because I am so upset about that stuff. Yeah. But before this, she she hits him with some classic toxic positivity. You've got your mind back and you're being pardoned. Like, be happy. Bitch, no, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. And as a therapist, you need yes, to know that. That's one thing I even said in that first episode was that, yeah, he's he's free, but I don't think that he's free from the cage of being the Winter Soldier. And Rainer is not helping that at all at this point. So, yeah, again, shitty, shitty therapist. Yeah, I'm almost done with my rant, Thank you guys, <laughs> especially you, Jake. So the entire Sam debacle, breach of confidentiality right here, right in front of Satan and everyone in the police station lobby. Satan being John Walker's bitch ass. Yeah. Yeah. Walker knows. Now, everybody in the police station knows whether they were a cop or a civilian or a criminal or whomever. Terrible, terrible, terrible on all fronts. You cannot order Sam into a session without his or Bucky's consent. Yep. What? Yep. She has no relationship with either of them, and she doesn't know if it would be appropriate or even harmful to either party, which, if we recall, it did I was end about up to say, shitty yeah, for everybody. That, that did not turn out well for anyone at that moment. Everybody walked... Even even Rainer walked out of that, that, uh, that session and felt like shit. Yeah, nobody felt good. Nobody felt good. So we're forcing a victim with no bodily autonomy for 70 years into a physically intimate exercise with someone with whom he's having confrontations actively right now. She is handling him like Hydra used to. And if we recall, he has Stockholm Syndrome because he even said Hydra is my people. Bucky still kind of feels like Hydra are his people, which... That in itself is just real fucking sad. It's the sad. only time he's really had uh, outside of getting shipped off to go fight Hitler. That's the only time he's had people in the hun- last hundred years. So stockholmsyndrome.com backslash trauma dot get a better therapist. So our Twitter therapist then says again that it seems much like real life mental health treatment in the military. It's more to sign off on a psyche valve so that Bucky can return to being used as an asset. So I will let us conclude here. Jake has some final thoughts on this piece, and I do and, as and well. And so I, I do think that they're doing a really good job of encapsulating the lack of appropriate mental, hair, mental health care, especially for veterans. In the show, I do think that there needs to be a scene for Bucky's mental health that is explicit as the cop scene was for race. And I kind of do think that the couples therapy scene may have been that scene, but it was completely undercut by the comedy at the beginning of the scene. The cop scene was something that is explicit and, and obviously for us in real world terms, that's how things are treated for folks with race and cops. Yeah, and it made you explicitly uncomfortable. There was no humor about it. There was no yes. way you could miss and, and the And so point. towards the end of that couples therapy session, we obviously get to a point like that, but I do think that, that you undercut that scene a little bit with the comedy at the beginning. So I definitely think that we need another scene like that, and I think it needs to be much more explicit than the couples therapy scene was. I do know that we're going to have to go and see Isaiah Bradley again, so we will be back in the States at some point. So I'm really hoping that we do get another scene with Rainer, even though she is a shitty therapist to really drive home the point that she is a shitty therapist and that you can't walk away from this last scene thinking other anything other than she is a shit therapist. And because of that, I am hoping and praying, like we've both said, that it is commentary. I very much worry that it isn't. And if it isn't, this portrayal of therapy and mental health care would be enough to discourage people from going who may really need it. And personally, I think literally everyone could benefit from going to therapy. So that is incredibly detrimental to the work people have been doing to destigmatize therapy and mental health care. 
So like you just said, I'm really hoping we see another scene to drive home how good therapy can really be when it's done well and how what we've been shown is not good therapy. You know, whether it's like, oh, well, this was just what I was assigned when they pulled me out of the field or something like that. Like we need something because uh, otherwise there there needs to be something discussed or made up for here, I think. I I do think, like you said a little bit earlier, that Zemo is going to end up being the better therapist for Bucky. And I think that may be some kind of course correction for this. I I think that the writers uh, for this show definitely understand how important mental health is. And that's obviously a big portion of Bucky's arc. So I... And again, I do think that maybe the couples therapy session was that, but I still think we need something more. I also wouldn't be surprised. We'll talk about this here in the theory section. I don't particularly think that we're going to full on go to Wakanda in in the series, but I wouldn't be surprised if we do get some kind of post credit scene with them in Wakanda and potentially Bucky having a therapist in Wakanda where he does feel comfortable and at home. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And where he's had therapeutic like care before that has been successful. They understand they understand how to build and work in therapy with Bucky, whereas this therapist obviously doesn't. So, yeah, I really yeah, like that. I think that would be that really, would be really cool. nice. Because, you know, I mean, we when we look at the if we look at the um, the post credit scenes from WandaVision, we get the one that's that deals with Monica in the future. Right. So I think that we'll we'll probably get two or three post credit scenes for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, too. And I would love to see one where where Bucky is back in in Wakanda. And I would love to see Shuri be like, yo, the White Wolf is home. And that that in itself would be therapeutic for Bucky. But then to also, you know, kind of see him in a therapy session in in one of those little huts there in Wakanda. I think that would be a really good touch. And um, I would love that. Or even just to see Bucky being welcomed somewhere with open arms warmly, like like if he's family. I think that would be super important. And really cathartic for us, even as the exactly 100 (laughs) percent, because I do think that the race and mental health are the two big real world issues that we're touching on with this show. And I would hate for them to do such a fantastic job with race. And if it's left at the point that it is now fall a little bit short on the mental health aspect of things. I feel like they are doing a really good job with addressing race in a way that people can still digest even if it's a subject that has not been super comfortable with the to them up to this point so yeah so that's why i've had this concern because i hope that they turn the corner even if (laughs) even if they do fall a little bit short i definitely do think that we can say that they have opened up the conversation around mental health at least I yeah. would like to see something. Yeah. And I mean with WandaVision yes. too. Yes. And so I definitely would like to see something more cathartic in the show, both for the for Bucky and for us as the audience, to really drive home that point that they've kind of been working around. But I do think that even if this is all that we do end up getting, that they have done a good job of at least opening up said conversation. Yeah. And that's super important. All right. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump into the episode. So we open up with this, this Global Repatriation Council commercial. And I would just like to say that they're fucking trash. And this is just a bright ass cheery commercial. And it just seems like big government bullshit. I half expected to see a couple in separate clawfoot bathtubs, like clinking their champagne flutes, looking out over a field with a sun cresting over the hills on the horizon. Like it felt like an ED commercial half the time. Or at least a depressant, like an antidepressant yes. commercial, like Zoloft. I half expected the little disclaimer at the end, like, you're going to die. <laughs> but it, it's so crazy. And I, I think this really gives more credence. And I, I do think that one of the, the scenes towards the end of the episode 
is a little bit more off-putting with the Flag Smashers. But I think this commercial does drive home the fact that the, the fact that the Flag Smashers do have a legitimate point in in what they're trying to get across to the rest of the world with this one people, one world type yeah. thing, you know? Sure. So directly after this commercial, we then see Walker and Hoskins jump out of a van flanked by a SWAT team. And as much as I hate this image, it really does largely parallel Cap's time with S.H.I.E.L.D. The opening of the Winter Soldier, Cap is boarding a boat and he's flanked by a special forces team. The biggest difference here, though, is that Cap definitely struggled with his work with S.H.I.E.L.D., where Walker just seems to relish in this. Yeah, and one big difference with these parallels is that Walker has the American flag narc symbol on his arm versus Cap's Avengers A, Saab. Yep. And I, uh, I know we just mentioned that he obviously worked for S.H.I.E.L.D. as well, but still, it was it was a little bit of a shot to the heart. Yeah, and and I, I definitely think that's a great point to make there that, I mean, and that's one of the big, one of my bigger issues with Walker in general is that he's the perfect soldier where Steve was a good man. Yeah, he's a fucking cop. Yeah, he's a fucking fed. Yo, you're good. You Don't say sorry. He's a fucking fed. Like, he's, he's strapped up in the Captain America uniform, which, again, in World War II, Steve was strapped up, but they were fighting a fucking war. And yeah, in Avengers... Yeah, you're on the yeah, front lines. And again, in Avengers, Steve did shoot a gun, but he never was strapped up on the front lines in close quarters combat shooting at people again walker's a fucking fed i hate him one of our friends on twitter papa whitlow he did a a poll asking who i was going to end up hating (laughs) more by the end of this series hayward clint or john walker and the poll had the correct answer and it was by a a large margin i fucking hate john walker i don't think that there's anything they could do in the show to rehab john walker for me Fuck him and everything, literally everything he stands for. Yeah, they definitely knew what they were doing, giving us a cop villain in this show. Yes. Like, couldn't have nailed it any further but, to the wall. But with that, I think Walker with the shield and in the uniform does allow us to interrogate what Captain America is, especially throughout the rest of the world and the yes. lens that they view him in. And this allows us to to view Captain America through a lens without being attached to the man behind the shield. Yeah. So I think that, again, they've done a very, very good job with we'll talk about this here in a second, but leave Wyatt Russell the fuck alone. Yeah. Also, the lenses you mentioned are really interesting, too, because I think this lens that you're talking about of the larger world and how they see Cap versus how America sees Cap. It's also how America sees itself versus how the larger world sees America. And there's a scene a little later on that deals with how America deals with race versus how the larger world kind of addresses race. And we see a nice interaction with Z- or a couple nice interactions with Zemo and Sam where we yep. see that become apparent and world culture kind of come into play. So... Yeah, very, very interesting. He's a little microcosm for a lot. And, and, and like, this is a great segue. This guy spitting in Walker's face, this is something that I immensely, immensely enjoyed seeing that I, I also want to do. I want to hawk a loogie in that motherfucker's face. Mm-hmm. Is I really think the way that the rest of the world feels about Captain America now. So I do think that Steve as Cap was viewed through a different lens in the majority of the world. He certainly did more good than harm, but there are definitely parts of the world who likely have always felt this way about Captain America, regardless of it being Steve or John Walker. Especially after the events of Civil War, P.S. we don't know how much exactly the public knew about the events of Civil War, but the Lagos incident and then Cap attempting to protect Bucky, who at the time was known as a notorious assassin, 
likely began this new view of Captain America. And since the blip, it's very clear that John Walker as Captain America is viewed in an incredibly negative light. And we get a little hint of this from your boy later in the episode for sure. So I won't give it away. But in between Civil War and Infinity War, we do know that Cap and the Secret Avengers were out in the world helping small and distressed communities. We see one of their missions in the Infinity War prelude comic. But the the guy that spits in, in Walker's face says, you Americans have become brute. And I think that that line is important. And I think the become part of that is very important. I think even in the real world, I think America used to come in when we were needed. And then we started fucking kicking down doors when people didn't ask us to. Yeah. Yeah. We started we started wars to insert ourselves in situations we had no business in. Honestly, it started way before. Yep. The Middle East, Vietnam. Oh, yeah. We literally faked bombing one of our own fucking boats to get involved in that fucking war. Like, are you fucking kidding depending me? Depending on how you feel about 9-11 and those conspiracy theories, that was something that the U.S. government orchestrated so that we could get involved in in the world in a larger sense as well, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, poor Wyatt Russell getting death threats for this role, like you said. Y'all, please. He is just a sweet, beautiful blonde boy playing the absolute shit out of this role. God, I guess... That is how you know you're doing it right. Yo, I, I, I do agree with that statement wholeheartedly, but y'all leave that man the fuck alone. He is doing his job, literally what he's supposed to do. And I think that the writing on the show has obviously made us really displeased with John Walker. But the way that Wyatt has brought that role to life is just a, a big, if not bigger factor as to why we hate John Walker so much. This line from Walker after the dude spits in his face and he says, do you know who I am? This is a microcosm of, for me, everything that is wrong with John Walker. He enjoys the power and the respect that Captain America and the suit and the shield allow him to wield. And regardless of any civilian's feelings about Cap when Steve was Captain America, this is something that Mm -hmm. Steve never would have done. Never. And I think this scene especially highlights that power corrupts. This job is already going to his head. And I think we're going to see that start to spiral very soon. Even his battle buddy was like, bro, you need to fucking relax. We'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to the theory section. But yeah, I definitely think that Walker is on a downward spiral right now and is not dealing with the power that comes with being Captain America. And like Jenny just said, it's it's gone to his head. and, And one thing, like if we've learned anything from Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire which is another thing that we're obviously real big into, power fucking corrupts. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are. Ned Stark was the only person that power did not corrupt. Outside of that, everybody else that got a little bit of power in Game of Thrones all went down the fucking drain. It's. I'm glad you brought up Game of Thrones because it was exactly what I was thinking about. Danny's spiral into madness that we see in season eight. Now, there were seeds of it throughout the show, as you and I were going to talk about when this was originally going yep. to be a Game of Thrones podcast. But this... It's episode three, but I'm believing the fuck out of it. Like, I feel that it doesn't feel like it's happening too quickly. Like, it's it's subtle. Wyatt killing it. I'm feeling really good about it. And that's not to say anything against uh, Miss Amelia who was a beautiful, wonderful actress. I think the writing fell off in the last few seasons of Game of Thrones. Not any any issues with the way anybody played any roles. All the actors on that show did fantastic jobs with what they were given. 
they made it worth yes. staying on. I, I, my issues lie with Benny Hoff and Weiss, but you know, that's, that's, yeah, big That's time. an episode for that six week gap between, uh, this and, and Loki. Oh man, Jack and I drink Loki. mead and get upset. That fucking Loki trailer. Yeah. So you and I need to actually do yes. a mini so this week. And, and if talk the, about all it. we talk about is the Loki trailer, I'm fucking fine with that. All right. So now Walker and Hoskins, nor the intelligent community have any leads on the flag smashers. And even Hoskins understands why, because even though the Flag Smashers are definitely a terrorist group in the government's eyes, and I think by the end of this episode, even in our eyes as the audience, um, I, I think up until we get to that last scene that that we all could have largely been on the side of the Flag Smashers, but Carly makes a decision that I don't think the rest of them knew about. Uh, they are helping people in distress, and as Was- as Hoskins says, this creates loyalty. When you're giving medicine and food and water to people who are without, that breeds a sense of loyalty that you're not going to be able to crack coming in there in the Captain America uniform, especially when you're flanked by SWAT people. And so even though Walker does not explicitly say this, they're going to follow Sam and Bucky's trail to try and catch up with Carly and the Flag Smashers. So now we cut to Berlin, Germany. Y'all know how the fuck I feel about Zemo. Man, who, ooh. God, I love this episode. Daniel Brule fucking killed this shit, yo. We cut to Sam and Bucky. They're in the prison here and they're going to see Zemo. And while Bucky gives Sam kind of like the runaround about why he wants to visit Zemo alone, he gives him this whole spiel about the Avengers. And this is this is clearly Bucky needs to see Zemo alone because Bucky has already come to the conclusion that they need to break Zemo out. And he wouldn't be able to pull off this plan with Sam there, and for me at least, I think it was pretty clear that Bucky has planned this entire escape from the Jump Street. So man, Zemo's intro in this episode, man, him saying the words from the Red Book and coming out of the dark like that, oh, it was so sick. It was so ill. But I am a little bit curious about why Zemo doesn't have more open disdain for Bucky, seeing as Bucky is also a super soldier. He clearly antagonizes him here in this scene and then throughout the rest of the episode, but he seems more curious about Bucky than the outright hate he possesses for the other super soldiers. I think he may be slow playing things here and knows that he will eventually need Bucky and his winter soldier persona in the future. Obviously, we see that here later in the episode. And I think once they handle Carly and the Flag Smashers and any of the other or or the rest of the super soldier serum... He may try and take Bucky out too, but we we see with this uh this scene we have at the end of the episode that Bucky might have an ace up his sleeve right here with Wakanda as well. Yeah, I I am with you as far as Zemo at this point, thinking maybe he can use and then dispose of Bucky. And we'll talk a little bit more about why I think we should continue to be suspicious of Zemo for a little longer throughout this series. Obviously, we are expecting him to turn the corner eventually. We're anticipating the Thunderbolts, but we'll talk about it more in a second. I really do love that it's acknowledged on screen that much like Thanos, Zemo may be crazy and a villain, but he does have a code. This is largely why I think he kind of has a plan to take out Bucky when he's no longer of, of use to Zemo. But we we cut to the scene in the garage there and Sam asks Bucky, he has a whole little spiel he goes on and says, do you think the Wakandans forgot about this? Rhetorical question, they didn't. So Bucky must also kind of have a plan to deal with the Wakandans because he knows that Sam is right at this point. And perhaps while 
you know, Bucky was in Wakanda. He accrued some goodwill or some kind of favors with them. He knows that he'll have to give Zemo up in the end. He can at least negotiate with the Wakandans here a little bit about exacting revenge upon Zemo until Zemo has served his purpose. Which leads me to believe that Bucky realizes that Zemo may have it out for him as well, too, because he is a super soldier, but he knows he's got the Wakandans on his side. So he's not as worried about Zemo. And so I am really curious to see how this manipulation between both Zemo and Bucky ends up playing out throughout the rest of this show. Where, you know, they both have this tension. Even Sam mentions that, that, you know, even y'all weren't frolicking in the sun together. They both kind of know that things are not necessarily going to end well, but right now they definitely do need each other. So I really love how they frame Zemo's escape with Bucky telling Sam all these hypothetical things that could happen. It's really fun. It definitely plays back into this framing them as the odd couple thing, like asking for forgiveness versus permission. Like, well, you might have... Yes. Like the wife bring home, brings home a dog. Yes. She didn't tell the husband she was getting kind of fun little sitcom <laughs> throwback there. Yes. And so like I mentioned earlier, I do think that that Bucky knew going in that he was going to orchestrate this escape from from Zemo. And I think these three little points I have right here are kind of kind of really lay that out. I don't know exactly how, but Bucky definitely snuck that key card into Zemo in that Machiavelli book. Fun little WandaVision Easter egg moment. For those of you who don't know, Machiavelli is considered the father of modern political science and philosophy. He was a Renaissance man, truly. Here are a few fun quotes from this guy that are worth noting. It is better to be feared than to be loved if you cannot be both. Excuse me, men judge generally more by the eye than by the hand, for everyone can see and few can feel. Everyone sees what you appear to be. Few really know what you are. If an injury has to be done to a man, it should be so severe that his vengeance need not be feared. I think that one is important. Major key. Mm. Politics have no relation to morals. Mm. He who wishes to be mm. obeyed must know how to command. Hmm. 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 <laughs> there is no avoiding war. It can only be postponed to the advantage of others. Dude, these, I'm telling you. The first method for estimating the intelligence of a ruler is to look at the men he has around him. One who deceives will always find those who allow themselves to be deceived. So, yeah. Sounds like someone Zemo would fuck with, and I think our heroes need to watch out. And I, I think that Sam makes that very explicitly clear, but again, like I said, I think Bucky knows he's got that Wakandan ace up his sleeve. And we do see in the in in the trailers, there is a scene where Bucky's got a gun pointed at Zemo. Um, and we also see some bullets fall in that. But I'll talk about some some Marvel trailers here in a little bit uh, with with actually here in a second. But yeah, he also drops off the note for the two guys to start fighting, which is really what instigates the whole, you know, prison riot thing. Can I just say this whole scene? Do all white men look alike? Because I was having trouble with this scene. And then there's another white guy like earlier in the episode. And I was like, wait, he looks just like Zemo, but he's he's the cafe owner speaking German or something. He looks like they all look the same to me. I can't I literally can't tell them apart. <laughs> it's like American Horror Story Hotel all over again. Maybe that was something that Malcolm Spellman did as a black person. And, you know, they say all black folks look alike. That was one thing that... uh. Ike Perlmutter punk ass said, Can we just get a little harmony on a fuck that ho? Yo, fuck him, bro. Fuck him. Ugh. Ugh. But yeah, and, and while we don't see this 
on screen anywhere, Bucky definitely told Zemo to pull that fire alarm and then probably gave Zemo the layout for the prison so that Zemo could escape himself. Sounds like a pretty badass thing he'd be able to plot out. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so. So, yeah, I really think that that Bucky went into this situation like like Jenny said, with with the odd couple shit in mind, not knowing that he wasn't going to tell tell Sam, but he went in into the prison planning to get Zemo the fuck out because Zemo had information they needed. And he knew that Zemo was not going to give he up that. Not going to get it. Nope. No, no. He was sitting in there with his Hannibal Lecter ass. Yes. In that clear cell. Mm. Tell me, Bucky. Oh, the way he came out of that dark. Has Sokovia oh, stopped screaming? Oh, God. They do another one of these woman pointed the cat memes here. Uh, Zemo tries to get a word in and Bucky and Sam both yell no. Bucky points and Sam is kind of in the position of holding Bucky back. So we've seen this happen in Endgame when Tony pointed at Steve. We've seen this happen in WandaVision between Monica and Wanda. And now we've seen this again here in this show. And so I'm just going to need Marvel Studios. We don't have the Stan Lee cameo anymore. You know, they're going to do some references to Stan Lee like we saw in WandaVision with the, the license plate in one of the um, one of the opening scenes. Um, and I think that once Deadpool gets introduced, we might get a, a Ryan Reynolds Deadpool cameo because he signed a fat, fat ass contract with Marvel Studios. Mm, you know what fat contracts mean, Jake? <laughs> Y'all can't see it. I love you so much. But yeah, until we get this, until we get this, uh, our little cameo for everything, I'm just going to need y'all to do the, the woman pointing the cat meme because that shit was hysterical. I'll make sure to post that on, uh, I'll get it posted on my Twitter because somebody made all three scenes from Endgame, WandaVision, and from, from Falcon and the Winter Soldier now. And man, that shit just took me the fuck out. Clint has the lamest attempt at it. Fuck him. And he goes, he you, you, when you talk to me about it, you get out there. Yeah. Fucking dork. I laughed Loser. so fucking hard. I know that that was supposed to be like an emotional scene right there, but like, I, I, I personally don't like Jeremy Renner as ruined. an actor. No, he fucking ruined it. He ruined that scene. Um, But yeah, that, for me, the emotional impact of that scene was when Hulk threw the fucking bench and, and Steve was just standing over there fucking crying. When when Renner said that shit, the way he said it, the way he inflected his voice, like I I really did just laugh at him. He had the little cut off t shirt on and the mohawk and that stupid ass fucking sleeve he has. It will always be fuck Clint, but it's still fuck John Walker way more. That's that's the new saying. So like yeah, y'all can go ahead and y'all can reorder Jake's list of hate at this point because it goes John Walker, Clint, and then even like yo four spaces down and then Hayward. Hayward's redemption arc. I think that it, a lot like John Walker, I think that I just dislike Clint so much, no matter what they do in Hawkeye, you're not going to be able to rehab Clint for me. I think that we may have some more backstory on him and some of his shit will be a little bit more understandable. But I see some of the Ronan thing where maybe it's less about like, I just lost my shit because my family died. Like, Well, I have heard that it's largely got to do with something with Kate Bishop. Um, and that's what he's, so, so I don't, I don't know what exactly, I haven't really given a whole lot of thought to, to that because it's still Hawkeye. Right. Cause who gives a shit? It, it may be, it may be kind of revolving around Kate Bishop, but I, I also at that point haven't really come to a narrative thread that would make me think that the cartels are like passing around, um, Kate Bishop. So w w as we get close to that show, I will think a little bit more about Clinton, his arc and shit he's done in the mcu but you know that show is towards the end of this year and until then fuck him and then even after it's still fuck him 
Huh, but I digress. <laughs> well, I'm just eating Easter candy listening to you about it. Oh, it's cool, yo. I I I really didn't even know it was really like Easter. The only reason yeah. I know it's Easter time is because I can get Cadbury cream eggs and I love oh, the motherfuckers. God, those are my favorite. Fuck, I love Cadbury cream eggs. Oh, shout out to my friend who sent me the Cadbury mini eggs, which are also another one of my uh, Cadbury cream and those mini eggs are my favorite. Yes. And uh, yeah, she just sent me a bag out of the goodness of her heart along with some other goodies. So way to be a good friend. We appreciate yeah. you. Right. So Bucky tells Sam that he broke the law and stuck his neck out to help Steve find Bucky. And now Bucky wants Sam to put his same trust in him with Zemo. And Sam goes along with it. I feel like we're a little bit on on making amends, because like I said, that that in, in that last episode, that couples therapy scene, again, I understand that. Steve and Bucky may never understand race in America the way that Sam does because they're not black people and they'll never understand what it means to be a black man in a white man's world. And they also originally came from not a great time for black people. Oh, yeah. Like the racist times. Yeah. 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 But not that there has been a great time for black people in America. That is fair, too. But I, I do think that Sam should have done more at the time to expound on that because Bucky really did open himself up in that couples therapy session. As unprofessional as it was to put them in that situation. Thank you. Bucky really did. He, yo, he he opened his heart. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think that him putting that trust into Bucky is kind of a step towards Bucky being able to rebuild that confidence in himself. Definitely. So like I said a, a second ago, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about some MCU trailers and how they cut stuff in the trailers here. In multiple trailers, we've heard Sam say this line of where do we start now? But there was never any indication whatsoever that the line previous to this was going to be, okay, Zemo. Right. I think this is a similar thing to WandaVision when Wanda talks about life moves real fast in the suburbs. In the trailer, that came off as like an upbeat kind of like fun moment. But that was actually right after Sparky died and her and Vision are having a real somber conversation in the kitchen. And that's when they, you know, they end up in the living room and end up floating at each other and shit. And they have like a real ass moment. So they've done a really good job with these trailers, and I've liked this more than what we got with Infinity War and Endgame because the Russos just like outright lied in some of those trailers and put shit that was never to be seen in the movies. There's that one scene where they're all like running forward in Wakanda and we see the Hulk running in Wakanda and the Hulk never shows up in Infinity War. So I really do like what they've done with the trailers with these two shows. I'm curious to see what they've got going on with Loki and we've got the the preview trailer now and now we've got the first official trailer. So I'm curious to see what scenes in that that they're kind of holding some shit back because, ooh, like I said, that Loki trailer was fucking fire. I'm excited. Am excited. So now we cut to Zemo's garage and them getting on the plane. Zemo has spent years hunting the people that recreated the Super Soldier Serum. So in between the Winter Soldier and Civil War, there was probably a year and a half or a two year gap. And when Natasha dumped all those files from Hydra onto the Internet, Zemo has spent that time decoding those files and then going after the people. One of the first things we see in Civil War with Zemo is him waterboarding that one former Hydra like hire Hydra a person. So he spent a whole lot of time going after this stuff because he wanted to make sure that the super soldier serum was never recreated in such a way that someone could create an army in quotes like the Avengers. And I really love that this is Zemo's whole driving force and he intends on finishing the job that he started and ending the super soldier or the winter soldier or the super soldier program. We find out that that dude's super rich. He was a baron. 
He has a garage full of cars and weapons and airplane. And he mentions that his family was royalty in Sokovia prior to Sokovia's destruction. Um, I, I think this is a very interesting juxtapos- juxtaposition here with Zemo, who is a whole ass white villain, but he's super rich. And Sam is a whole ass black superhero and he's super broke. And right there, the biggest difference is the color of their skin, which I really think speaks to the long running issues of generational wealth and the lack thereof in the black community. Um, yeah. I and I also- think it's also, so, oh, sorry. I, I was just going to say, I think it's also interesting. We see as the scene on the plane unfolds, it feels kind of like the fall of the house of Zemo has happened is since the blip and everything that's gone on with him being a villain and being locked up and on the run and so on and so forth. Cause Zemo reminds me, he's like Estonian hood rich. Like he reminds me of yeah. Tommy Cash. He has a butler, a plane, all these toys. And that's how he went on these, this, this mission that he has. Right. And their family were both killed. Batman's by crime and Zemo by superheroes. And now they both have made it their life missions to put an end to these things. Totally. Um, And I think that was a really cool parallel right there. So we end up with them on the plane. And Zemo continues to taunt Sam and Bucky here. At first he says, y'all don't know what it's like to be locked up. And then he goes to Sam, well, I guess you do. Resurfacing those memories of Sam being locked up in the raft during a civil war, even though Cap broke him out and they probably weren't in there for that long. Still being put in a cell is something that I do not envy and hope to never experience. And then I don't know how exactly, but Zemo has Bucky's amendment notebook here, which we do come to find out that is the same notebook that Steve had when he came out of the ice. Uh, which I thought was a really cool thing. But in this moment, Zemo brings up Yuri and that like super pisses Bucky off. Um, but the mention of Yuri here, I think means that we're going to get this resolution for this arc. And I'm still really not looking forward to that. Also One just, just noted that here we have a notebook triggering Bucky again. Mm-hmm. Yes. And another time that he and Zemo have exchanged books somehow in a way we didn't see secretively so he and zemo have a thing with books and notebooks together yes. as well as separately so curious curious it's it's just it really is crazy that zemo is going to end up being the better therapist for him than rainer who is an actual therapist is i i, I and again so i think this this could be a little bit uh, not an explicit um parallel right there but but you know a little bit something again on that mental health aspect because again uh zemo even goes goes on to make the content comment that he knows that this is obviously like his amendment notebook right and he he even makes it explicit that this is you're making amendments for the things that the winter soldier has done not that you specifically has done which is something that that you know rainer kind of has never really made that that distinction there um for for Bucky, so I, that that is a, that's a little bit curious right there. But then they go on to talk about the Trouble Man soundtrack, and Bucky seems less than impressed with this, which seems to rub Sam the wrong way. Uh, Zemo backs up Sam here and says, "It is a masterpiece, James. Complete, comprehensive. It captures the African American experience." Sam responds that, "Yo, he's out of line, but this is right." <laughs> It's so funny because Zemo's just so detached from it yes. when he says that too. He's literally saying that as a music reviewer. Like yes. I, have, I have said similar shit on album reviews before, and like, well, like yo, like I mean, again, I, I do think it speaks to how cultured Zemo is. The fact that yeah, you know, he has listened to this soundtrack, that he does understand that it does encapsulate the the black experience in America. 
Right. And he did. And it seems like he went and did that research. Like he researched yes. the album and what it meant to the black community in America and which so on and so forth, which is why he talked about it like that. All white people, that's what y'all should do. You shouldn't yeah. have to have things explained to you. Go and do the research yourself. Be like Baron's Helmet Zemo. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of really good books about it. And, and while this conversation is really funny and has led to some like really great memes. <laughs> I do love that again, it shows how culture Zemo is and it does lead up to this speech that I, I, I have to quote in full. So he says to Sam, you must have really looked up to Steve, but I realized something when I met him, the danger with people like him and Sam interjects at this point and says, be careful, Zemo. America's super soldiers is what we, and we put them on a pedestal. They become symbols, icons, and then we start to forget about their flaws from there. Cities fly, innocent people die. Movements are formed, wars are fought. You remember that, right? He's speaking to Bucky now. As a young soldier, you were sent to Germany to stop a mad icon. Do we really want to live in a world full of people like the Red Skull? One, Daniel Brühl delivers this just fucking fantastically, but this is a microcosm of what we've seen happen throughout the MCU, both in the past and the present. He directly mentions Red Skull here and Age of Ultron, that's the past directly mentioned right there. And then he indirectly mentions the Flag Smashers here and the movement and the war that is yet to come. Better yet, the war that is currently being fought. This is a movement that's come up because of these icons um, and, and the way that John Walker is now idolized in America. And while he's low throughout the rest of the world, he is an icon and has been put on a pedestal back in America, despite his many, many flaws. Look at Thanos. I mean, we see it yes. over and over again. He's history repeating itself and Zemo's just showing us again. Yes. And it's for me, I, this is one of the things that I've loved about just in the two shows that we've gotten here on Disney Plus is that they do such a good job of expanding on these minor and side characters. And Zemo, I mean, he was in one movie, but he broke up the Avengers. He made it possible for Thanos to win in Infinity War. Had the Avengers been together in Infinity War, Thanos wouldn't have won. We've seen them almost, they almost won on Titan when they were there with Thanos, but, but Peter Quill, you know, gets in his feelings and lets his emotion take over. And then even back on Earth, yo, Wanda destroys the stone in Vision's head and they thought they had that too, but, but Thanos had already collected the time stone. So it's, it's, I, it's, I love what they've done with, with Wanda and Vision, the introduction of the twins. Um, what they've done with Zemo, what we see here from Sharon Carter at the end of this episode, Ooh. and the things that we've Ooh. gotten with yes, Ooh. the things that we've gotten with Sam and Bucky, they've done such a fantastic job with just these two shows that I'm so excited for the expansion on characters that we already have in the MCU, and then the introduction of new characters and Miss Marvel, She Hulk, and Moon Knight that we're gonna get here in the future. Uh, I'm, it also makes me very excited for the 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 guardians of the galaxy holiday special, because we don't know what they've been up to for the four years between the end of volume two and the beginning of infinity war. So this is again, it's a microcosm of the MCU and the things that have happened, but also a microcosm of what we're going to get from these future shows. And man, it's just fantastic. I'm enjoying the emphasis on villains. Yeah. Or quote unquote villains. I mean, Loki's getting a whole show. Mm -hmm. And Agatha, awesome. Agatha, Agatha was technically a villain. Zemo, Zemo was technically a villain. Um, but Harley. You're, you're gonna, yes. Yeah. Oh, God, I love her. Yeah, up until she blows up those people for this episode. Yeah, but... I mean, but... I will get... I also could things. get it. Like, I understand that extremism sometimes yes. is what people feel like they need to do. 
Yes. I don't necessarily agree with and, that. And fortunately, they were feds from another country and not like civilians or anything, but still that just, they were tied up and, yo, indefensive yeah, people that are up. defenseless. Yeah, just, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a little bit, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but now, before we get to Madripoor, we get a little info dump about Madripoor. Data dump. <laughs> Sam says I talk about it like Skull Island, and shout out to the MonsterVerse right here. I watched Godzilla vs. Kong this weekend with my brother. It's a spectacle visually, uh, but it's a less than stellar movie plot-wise. But I would recommend that everybody do check it out at least once. because I need to watch it with my dog. Did you watch it? No, I haven't yet. But Kaiju and I need to yes, watch. Kaiju, it. yes, yeah, she, she got a monster name right there. Go ahead. And Her do namesake. That. She's named after Godzilla. Yes, because yes. yo, yo, the fights between Godzilla and Kong, and I won't spoil the end, but the final fight, fucking awesome, dope as shit. Bucky informs us that Madripoor is an island nation in the Indonesian archipelago, and that it once was a pirate sanctuary. And Zemo says that it has still kept its lawless ways. And tells Bucky that he must become somebody who he claims is gone. Dun, dun, dun. So we cut to the Flag Smashers, right? Pick up with them at a GRC settlement camp in Riga, Latvia. This appears to be probably one of their main home bases, as Carly seems very, very familiar with almost everyone there. And this is where we deep meet uh, Madani. Um, and she's very sick and likely hasn't moved from this camp. So this is probably around the area that the Flag Smashers are from. Uh, at least Carly and Diego, the two that we see have that conversation here towards the end of the episode. I will say that the Flag Smasher scenes for me in the last two episodes have kind of thrown off the pacing a little bit for me. I get that it's a necessity for us to keep up to date with the Flag Smashers movements, but they've been real short scenes and they kind of kill the momentum of some of the main plots of the episodes. Yeah, there's the scene later in the episode that i think matters that i'm not mad about yes but yeah this and i understand that we need to establish this emotional connection and this loss but like okay like maybe put that together with the end scene just have a transition it's kind of it's one of those things where there's obviously time in between the flag smasher scenes both in this episode and in episode two and so you you want to be able to show that time lapse, I guess, but yeah. I, I kind of agree with you that we should figure out a way to kind of connect them a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, um, if they were going to be that short, I feel like you could have yes, just like, because this, instead this of interrupting. Like a, yeah, this was literally like a 30 second, a minute long scene, if that. I wonder what hit the cutting room floor. I And that's where I I fall on that as well, too, that there may have been more stuff that was supposed to go here and that, you know, they've got these six hours for these miniseries. Um, Malcolm Spellman did an interview recently where he said that if they got 10 episodes being an hour, hour long episodes, um, that they really would have dove more into Torres. And we saw Torres in episode one and we didn't see him last episode, but he's the same way that he was involved last episode. He's end up involved at the end of this episode. Well, like he's like their, their little homies, they hit up to get some information, but he's not really involved and we don't see him on screen. I do think that we'll see him again, obviously before the series ends, but these scenes do kind of kill some of the pacing a little bit. So now we go ahead and we pull up in Madripoor and as they're walking into Madripoor, Sam says he looks like a pimp to which Zemo responds. Only an American would assume a fashion forward black man looks like a pimp. And again, man, my guy Zemo is just hella cultured. 
outside of Sam's reaction, because this is not meant to be a comment on Sam's reaction, but mm-hmm. at its core, I feel like this little part of this scene is what I was talking about earlier. I think it's interesting commentary on race relations in other parts of the world versus the U.S. and how accidentally narrow-minded that we can be about things yes. here, even in our pursuit of uh, political correctness or wokeness or whatever you want to call it. Yep. Even when we really, really mean well, sometimes we get into that sort of toxic Ouroboros of trying to outwoke our own self to the point where we end up 10 steps behind instead of two steps forward. Yep. And I mean, it's, it's, it's not like the comment comes from Bucky. It, it comes from Sam himself, who is a black man in America, you know, and it's I think that's a, a very fantastic point. Uh, but here, Sam is playing the part of Conrad Mack, a.k.a. the Smiling Tiger. And my guess is that this is actually uh, this character's introduction into the MCU. He is a comic book character. And I am curious now that if Mac does make another appearance in the future of the MCU, is Mackie going to play him? I hope so. Because I, one, I think that would be... Another vision situation. Yeah, because I think that would be really fun to, to, as an actor, to be able to, especially as good as an actor as Mackie is. Um, So I I think that was a really cool thing that they did. Um, Zemo at this point points out that Hightown, uh, points out Hightown to him, and Sam mentions that they don't have any friends in Hightown, do they? But boy, is he wrong. Boy, does Zemo look sheepish after that comment. Mmm. And it, it, these aren't necessarily the notes, but I think we could dive into some other possible uh, identities for the power broker. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get to that when we get to the theory section. Shout um, out to Atlanta. We're at ATL yes. spotting again. Krog Street Tunnel, Madripoor. ATL. It was so painfully obvious. I almost laughed, but I love that for Krog Street. Yes. Krog Street Tunnel. Welcome to the Good For Her Club. Yes. Good for her. Because, yo, Jenny and I both know the Krog Street Tunnel real well, and yeah. I will eventually, I'll go down there and I'll definitely take a picture down there so that y'all can, y'all can see it in its, in its We'll entirety. take one together this summer, too. Yes! Yes! Yo, let's yeah. just go ahead and do a whole fucking shoot down there. Cause you know, yeah, let's do a Madripoor shoot. You know I have clothes ready for that shit. I'm gonna get some prop guns Ooh, I'm for getting the-, the Maserati shoot next month. I don't know I'm that getting- I can get them to Atlanta, though. I'm getting that Baron Zemo <laughs> fucking trench coat because i'm rocking that bitch all next winter that's the only yeah. thing i'm gonna wear that bitch we'll is- have a mask ready too oh i can't wait for them to put that mask on sale because i'm bu- i don't care what it costs me i'm buying it the second yeah. it drops buying it um and, and so we enter into low town here and everyone in low town is fucking strapped and i think this really emphasizes the need for them to stay in character or they die <laughs> they end up at beastie boys saloon Yes, the, the Brass Monkey Saloon, uh, and this is a location ripped directly from the comics, and we also see a sign for the Princess Bar, which is another uh, bar that's ripped directly from the comics that's in Madripoor as well, too. So we get in the bar, and Sam's got to stay in character, and he has to drink this shot to stay in character, and what, it's what, got- What, snake heart or venom or what, entrails? What the fuck was that about? If anybody knows what that was about, tweet us or DM us or email us. Or shoot us an email, do something, yeah, because that shit, but it took me the fuck out, the way that he, oh, and they just went ahead and, and took it, oh. Uh. Uh, it's he's almost too good in his face because you know the bartender was like what like wait what the fuck but i mean i guess he did drink it so mm, i don't know but yeah the bartender had like the the stink face like i don't really believe what's going on right here the entire time we do see someone in the background as they walk in 
put their hood up and dip out. We'll talk about that later. But we noted that we know who it is. We'll talk about who it is later. They sure do. And and so to that point, Zemo talks about the uh, the power broker and says that Madripoor has a king. But personally, I think that that's a queen. Uh-huh. But, but we will get into that here in the theory section. The power of, of women. At this point, we have uh, Bucky fall back into his Winter Soldier persona and this fucking fight scene. Oof. Yeah, I can only Man. get so moist, or so I thought, leading up I to can this only, point. I can, and I can only get so hard. Yeah. That, that fucking uh, archery. In conclusion, Modic hard. hard. Real hard. Yeah. I do think that between him breaking Zemo out of prison and all these people recording him as the Winter Soldier may spell trouble for his pardon back home, though. Yeah, which Zemo probably had in mind. Isolate him, separate him from his ties, get him back on your team, get him back under your control. Mm. And so, so as as we point out these things with Zemo and the Machiavelli, mm. uh, I, I think that uh, this is one of those things we should be paying attention to right there. Yeah, got some plans. And Zemo knows these things. He knows that Bucky sought him out actively, and we know that Bucky has Stockholm syndrome already. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh, for Bucko. Yeah. So we, we head upstairs and we meet Selby. Selby. That Zemo is known as Baron throughout the underworld, and this really does harken back to his comic book origins. Selby points out that the smiling tiger is taller than she thought, which I think is her first little clue that there may be something funky going on with these three. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do love the way that Zemo rubs on Bucky's face as he calls him the Winter Soldier and Bucky just stands there and eats that shit. Yes, Sam just makes a fucking rookie undercover mistake and does it. Yeah, it's on vibrate, but you got to turn your phone off. Yo, this was so bad. So embarrassing. He's been doing like special ops. Come on, man. Like, I do. I do. Dude. Yes. But I mean, also, I mean, also, they told him they told him to have subtlety in that opening episode, and he just flew flew around with Red Wing and blew up a whole bunch of helicopters and killed a whole bunch of terrorists. And That's shit. true. He's not great at being undercover. That's fair. I do love that he did almost pull this off and played it off with Sarah until Sarah starts talking about Cheerios and then actually calls him Sam. Yeah. And then all hell breaks loose. Selby gets taken out very conveniently right here after Pew. she mentioned the whole bakery would cost Zemo. But this is, again, something that we'll talk about here as we get to the theory section later. Sam, Bucky, and Zemo make a break for it here. And there's a bounty on their head. So all these strapped folks. The burn book went public. Everybody in Lowtown starts blasting at them. It looks like Zemo is about to bounce right here. Back in this alley, they show up again. And uh, their guardian angel takes out the two people in the alley that may have killed them. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Tsunade. I mean, Sharon. Mm-hmm. So Sharon is very upset that she's been on the... Very upset. And, and uh, yo, I understand this. Yes. She's been on the run the whole time. Uh, she makes it very clear that she's not happy about this, but she decides mm-hmm. to help the boys out, takes them to her place in Hightown. Sharon, what have we learned over and over, honey? Men aren't worth it. No, they're not. Don't Power do of it. women, fuck them. Don't em. fucking do it. And Sharon has all these, like, real art pieces, and Sam has to Google what some of these are real quick, because... Uh, Sharon just happened to show up when Zemo happened to be in town after Zemo did not say he did not have friends in Hightown. Is this spelled out clearly enough? And 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 Selby had to die, and she talked about the whole bakery. Mm-hmm. You know, not just the crumbs, 
but the whole bakery. Yep. So Selby may have been one of the few people who actually knew who the power worker was. But again, we will talk about this momentarily. Yeah. And somebody in the bar saw them all walk in and yeah. knew who they were coming to see, heard we're going to see Selby and went, see ya. Mm-hmm. And maybe got in position to shoot Selby in the head mm-hmm. before Selby could say anything about the bakery. And- and then this same person here goes on this whole spiel about the whole hero thing's a joke and talks about the hypocrisy uh-huh. of this. Uh-huh. And, and yo, I, I actually do feel Sharon in this moment because the way things have played out with the shield in this show, mm, she's not wrong. Not wrong. And Bucky <laughs> is also not wrong, says that Sharon is awful now, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. obviously speaks to her being not the same person that we saw the last time we saw her in Civil War. Yeah, I wanted I, I want to do my Agatha spoil, but I, I feel like it's so obvious after multiple viewings that I'm exasperated. by. And, and I'm curious. I'm, I, I want to talk to Zach about this a little bit because I am curious how the casual fan views this, you know? Yeah. If this, because I feel like it's very obvious for us, and and we'll yeah. really break it down here in the theory section in a little bit. But it, it there's a lot of evidence for this heel turn for Sharon, and we'll get into some of those details here in a minute. But I'm curious if the average fan caught on to this, or if they really felt like Sharon was looking out for her homie. After a little negotiation here, Sham and Sharon they strike a deal. She'll help them find Wolfred Nagel, not the power broker, hmm. uh, for a pardon back in America. And I think that. A pardon in America would mean that you could move throughout the world and being the power breaker would be a lot easier. And what do you know? So Sharon tells him, yo, come hang out at the party. Zemo dancing is quite literally the best thing that has ever come out of the MCU. <laughs> Sharon quickly finds out where Nagel is, and this was a little suspicious to me, but they mm. go ahead and they head to a shipping container that appears to be empty and and uh, on my first watch through... I kind of thought that Sharon was selling them out at this point because it looks like this container's empty, but there's actually a secret compartment in there, and the boys do find Nagel. Yeah, I was glad that Bucky was the only one who wasn't dumb enough to walk right in. Somebody had to stay at the door and watch the six. and Had the, had the gun out the whole yep. time. Yes, yep. I loved it. Um, so I don't know if this is the Power Brokers man showing up or if these were people trying to collect the bounty on the boys, but Sharon goes fucking apeshit. Right, that would be really convincing if it's the Power Brokers man. <laughs> Regardless, regardless of who it is, I, again, I think this is Sharon protecting her cover so that she seems like she's protecting them. But seeing Sharon go the fuck off on all of these strapped up dudes is fucking awesome. And Dude. as I say on almost every episode, the power, the power of, women. of women. Do we suspect that Sharon might have taken some super soldier serum at this point? I know she is a famed, skilled operative. <sighs> But this was some next level shit. Like she took out a lot of dude, like cutting through butter. And might I add, one of my favorite fight scenes in the MCU uh, to date, non-super fight scenes. I I honestly think that this is Sharon's training the same way that we here in a moment see Zemo go the fuck off on a handful of folk. And that, yo, when you get trained like that to be in the CIA or S.H.I.E.L.D. or Echo Scorpion, the, 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 uh battalion that, that Zemo was a commander of, I think that you just kind of sort of have those those powers. And it's it's very clear that the people in Madripoor don't have the super soldier serum. And I mean, we see Bucky Javelin throw that pipe at somebody here towards the end of this scene. And Horny. Sharon does go ham on them, but it doesn't look like she's... And it could be that she's masking the fact that she does have super soldier serum. Yeah. I can see that. It's, just, um, it's all just like, of course she's wicked trained, but... <sighs> It was just so, it was Bucky precision. It was really, it was. 
it was a little bit next level turned up a notch. But so I, I could I, see I, it being masked in, and still just being a badass too. In the in the same sense of you know Sam, when we we mentioned this in the first episode, does Sam have some super soldier exactly? Going on? Yeah. So. So there, there is again something this there. whatever this serum is that's out there is not the same stuff that Cap was made of either. So even if this, Sharon, this, this actually we'll talk about this when we really get into Nagel and, and this conversation. I do think it's a little bit better. I do think this is a good segue to start talking about Nagel, and I do think that he has made a more perfected version of the Super Soldier Serum. So he says that he was brought into Hydra after the failure of this serum that they stole from Howard Stark in 1991. And he worked on the serum for Hydra until they fell in 2014. And then he was recruited by the CIA to continue this work with blood samples from an American Tusk subject, which we obviously know is Isaiah Bradley. Uh, hearing him say it like that. Yes. And even Sam makes a comment about that later, later in the episode here, too. He was able to isolate the necessary compounds from Bradley's blood and created a perfected serum. But before he could synthesize his work, he fell victim to the snap. Then after returning from the blip, he found that the CIA had terminated the super soldier program. At this point, he fled to Madripoor, where the power broker was more than happy to fund his work. And he was able to create 20 vials of the super soldier serum, but they were all stolen by Carly Morgenthau. With what he says, I think that he made a better serum. You didn't need the Vita rays the same way that we need with Cap in the first Avenger. Mm -hmm. And with Bucky, he is the, we've, we've talked about this before. He's by far the, the weakest, weakest super soldier. Yes. Um, and it's funny that Hydra even thought that the Winter Soldier program that they stole the serum from Howard Stark was a failure because those people seem to be stronger than Bucky was when we saw them in Civil War in that one scene. It may be that they were not as pliable as Bucky was, and that was part of the issue, because Hydra obviously wants to be able to control you when you have the Super Soldier Serum. But Carly does talk about taking the serum here, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But also what we've seen from Carly and the other Flag Smashers, especially in the second episode, they seem to be even probably on a better level than Cap is. Besides injecting the serum, it didn't, and you didn't need any outside forces to make it work. Yeah. But while Nagel is telling this story, Zemo is kind of searching around the lab and he's able to find a gun that he then uses to kill Nagel, which at this point kind of ends the chance for making more super soldier serum. Which I understand would totally be his MO because he hates that shit. But also, this ends the chance for Nagel to say who the power broker is. How convenient. Leads me to believe maybe Zemo has a friend in the PB. One of the henchmen or the power broker's men or people trying to collect on this bounty, they hit the container with an RPG. And it once again looks like Zemo was going to make a break for it as Sharon and Bucky and Sam escape the container together. Sam and Bucky arguing about what they were supposed to do is fucking priceless. That was pretty great. That happens in every action movie! This episode made me relate to Sam, I think, more than I've ever related to Sam yet, because I've realized that Sam's a lot like me in that he can be reactive yep. and then kind of come down. Like, I'm an Aries Mars, <laughs> for those of you who give a shit. I'm a Sag, I'm a Sag Taurus. I, I still don't know what exactly that means, but I think... Sagittarius? Yes, yeah, Sagittarius and Taurus Moon. Taurus Moon! Okay. And after reading what those mean, I think that that does describe me more because that was always one of my things with astrology was I was like, yo, I do not fit, like, I have some very Sagittarius traits, 
but I also have some that like don't match at all. But yeah, then when the rest I, of your chart matters. Yes. When I looked up the entire thing and I saw what my moon was, I was like, oh, that makes. And then I looked up the Taurus stuff. I was like, huh, that does make more sense. I'm a Taurus moon also. Which shout, is out, why. shout out to shout out to Jasmine because, you know, we got to shout her out damn near every episode at this point now. Yeah, she helped you a lot with your chart. Yes. But yeah, having an Aries Mars, I also tend to react to things and kind of blow up and then kind of come down. It's a habit I need to work on. But yeah, as this episode continued in, in the last episode, especially, I was like, oh, me and Sam, we are brethren. Well, see, I know that I'm Sam because I have the same petty energy that he does. And Yeah, the pettiness like said, is fun. The trio of Sam, Bucky and Sharon, they run out of bullets and they're pinned down uh, by the henchmen. But then Zemo puts on the fucking mask and comes to save the day. And we see why, like we were just talking about with their training, we see why Zemo was the commander of that Echo Scorpion squadron in Sokovia. Because Zemo goes crazy. He's flipping over people. He's got one dude in an arm bar, busting other people, kicks the dude off, shoots him too. And then that shot of him in the mask through the flames. Oh my God. In conclusion, my dick is hard. Have we really seen this much Zemo combat before? Because I'm fucking living for it. I don't feel like we've ever seen him fight. Like they, they made the comment in Civil War that he was a commander of Echo Scorpion. Zemo has a code. And so Zemo's whole goal in, in Civil War was to end the Winter Soldier program. And he didn't have to fight anybody for that. He waterboarded the one Hydra guy. He definitely bombed the Vienna um, Convention when they were there signing the Accords. But he didn't fight anyone. He didn't kill anyone unnecessarily, um, at least in the context of what his plan was. And had the dude, had the Hydra dude given up the information about what the words were to activate Bucky, he wouldn't have even blown up the Vienna Convention Center. So yeah, this is the first time we've seen Zemo in action. Again, this is why he was a commander. Zemo pulls up in the supercharged joint, right? Sharon says, yo, give me my pardon, and she departs. Bucky jumps in the front seat while Sam jumps in the back. And Sam asks if Bucky is going to move the seat up, and Bucky says no. And this is one of the most obvious callbacks to any movie ever, because this and the scene with Spider-Man fighting Bucky and Sam is what really got us this show. Uh, so no, Bucky is not going to move his seat up. <laughs> Sharon goes and she gets into her own car and tells, I guess, her assistant hmm. that they have a couple of big problems. Huh. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. Sharon seemed really upset about being on the run, but mm. the, all that art and that nice ass apartment mm. assistant who drives to pick you up when you're in a pinch, mm. you seem to be commanding in a way. Mm. She reminds me a lot of a fixer in cyberpunk, only maybe higher up than this. Mm. Like Selby was the fixer. Mm. Yeah. I'm just saying there mm. are some evidences pointing towards this theory. But we do, we cut black here, we cut back here to the Flag Smashers, scouting a GRC building, and Harley, and I believe his name's Diego, are having a conversation, and we get a little, little bit about their lives before becoming the fact, before they became the Flag Smashers. Diego is a fucking smoke. Oh, I dig it. Slide in my DMs, daddy. You know how I feel about anybody with long hair. I do, I do also have a thing for... Men with longer, prettier hair than mine. Shout out to Joe. Oh, shout out to Joe. That's a that's a fucking man right here. Yeah, so I I did get to meet Joe. Uh, Jenny and Jenny and Joe were down here last week. They drove down to Tampa to pick up some merchandise for the band. Lich King. 
Um, but yeah, I got to meet Joe and, and yo, I went to give my man a handshake and he said, no, come here for a hug. Uh huh. That's a fucking man right there. I love me some Joe. As you walked up to the, the patio, whoever was sitting next to him, he had move over and said, I need to hug this man. I love Joe so much. It was so cute. <laughs> Fantastic. I love him so much. Oh, he's the best. But yeah, so uh, Diego said that he thought about joining the military at one point, but mob security in Madripoor paid better. Mm. Carly goes on to say that she thought that she would become a teacher like Mama Danya was, but she never thought that they would that she would end up in Madripoor. But it was the only place where she could find something to protect them after the blip, after they were put on the street. And again, this really just speaks to what the GRC is and what happened after the blip when all those people came back. We talked about this in the first episode with uh, Unique and, and Yuri, some of the border stuff with Sam and Libya. It has to be jarring for half of the world to disappear, right? And you've got all this space. And I mean, here in America, we know that there are more unoccupied houses than there are homeless people in America, but we still have homeless people. Mm -hmm. So imagine what would happen if, you know, the people that got blipped away came back. It's a thing that we see in Far From Home. Um, uh, when Aunt May pulled back up, she was in somebody else's apartment at that point. And then her and Peter are in an even smaller apartment at that point. They're doing a fundraiser for the people who have come back from the blip. And yeah, the GRC is taking care of the people who have returned. But what about the people that were here through all of this for these five years? And again, up until this very last scene, I, I very much feel the flag smasher ideology. And I, I think that as we get to this scene, I do think that that was a decision that Carly made by herself. Mm -hmm. But I, I could understand why, again, like you said earlier, that extremist view that you take in, and Carly even says it, this is the only language that these people speak. Yeah. She briefly talks about them taking the serum and the pain that it caused. Carly really does think that the power broker will come begging now because they have the last of the serum. And Carly, I just have to beg to differ at this point. Oh, yeah. They're coming for her ass. Yeah. They're still coming for you, and they're going to take the serum over your dead body. Um, the power broker, Sharon Carter... <laughs> Would have oh, no problem Carter. <laughs> throwing all of the henchmen ever at you to take y'all out. We already saw that first uh, Flag Smasher sacrifice himself in this, at the end of the second episode where he got shot up. Um, it, it's clear that, that the power broker, Essie, has just a huge army at her disposal and has no qualms even beating the shit out of her own people. So I don't think that she would have any qualms about throwing them at you to get what she wants back. Yep. Diego says that that Carly could still become a teacher when all this is over. <laughs> he responds pretty ominously here and says, maybe. I think at this point she knows what she's going to do to these people at this GRC building, even though the rest of the Flag Smashers don't know what's going on, that Carly has this thought in mind. I feel like on top of that, the way she says maybe, of course, like she's about to become a mass murderer, but I mm. think, and terrorist and whatever else you want to call it, but... I think she also feels like she's pretty sure she's probably going to die before she gets a chance to just go be a teacher. She's she's chosen a risky like a risky life, excuse me. Yeah, and I and I think that that line about her praying that she would die when they took the serum, I think uh, yeah. probably kind of points to that. I yeah. honestly really hope that she's one of those villains that they don't end up killing off towards the end sure. of the show because I I really really yeah, really like her. Aaron Killiman, it's killing she's me so I actually saw an interview that she said she did, had no idea what the role was, but she auditioned for it. 
and just knew that it was a Marvel role. And then she got the script and she read the script and was like, wait, this doesn't seem like Marvel. People that thought that we weren't going to touch on explicitly on race. And again, I, I think that we're going to get that explicit scene about mental health. I think that this is something we can expect going forward, even in the movies um, with with Marvel Studios moving forward. And Kevin Feige really having control at this point and not having to answer to that creative committee and then having to see through decisions that were made in phase two throughout phase three. Right. Yeah. So so I, I think that, yeah, we're going to get a lot of of really good uh, deep dives on uh, minorities, women, um, it, what it means to be a, a super powered person in this world. Mm hmm. One of our friends, Grant, his name's Heathen King on Twitter. Uh, we were talking today and he he pointed out that he kind of hopes that we're going to get to see some of these darker shades of gray characters. Yo, I feel that. And I really hope that it, it'll obviously, I think, be with the heroes that we've known for a while. And like I said, we see that with Sam here coming in a minute on the plane where he talks about destroying the shield. That, yo, y'all have been through some shit. Yeah, I was just going to say trauma. We're dealing with trauma again, just like WandaVision. One of our other friends, Frank, I think his name is Frank Baum on Twitter. He he talked about just the idea of some of these heroes that were left here through the five-year gap, like kind of being like, yo, fuck it. Like we made it through this shit without y'all. Like we don't need y'all anymore. So I really do think that there's there's a very good opportunity to really touch on some of these these gray characters and to see people that we've known through as heroes throughout the Infinity Saga have a different perspective on everything after the blip and and after dealing with the GRC and all of this bullshit with the government, right? And that with the Young Avengers, we're going to get that youthful hope, you know what I'm saying, that we we saw through the Infinity Saga, but that will be with another generation of heroes. But these heroes that have been through some shit, yo, that trauma is going to, I mean, we saw it in WandaVision. That, that trauma is a motherfucker. And that's some shit to deal with. And it affects different people in different ways. Bucky. And his trauma, it really seems like he's going to come out the, under end, the other end of this more optimistic and hopeful. Um, right now, he's clearly in a dark space. And, and Rainer, as a shitty therapist, is definitely not helping that at all. But even he, when, when Sam talks about destroying the shield, Sam uh, Bucky is like, yo, like, nah, that shield means things to me and a lot of other people. So it's, it's, I'm very, I'm really curious what, what Feige's going to do. And then, you know, we still got the X-Men, which are just, so many allegories for minorities. Mm -hmm. um, Professor X and Magneto are really based off of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. And do again, the conversation we had in the first episode, we talked about at the top of this episode, do the ends justify the means? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of really, really cool shit coming down the pipeline to Marvel Studios. And I think we're going to get to touch on some of these really darker issues. And even with that, that's a great segue right here back to Walker and Hoskins. Yes. I will never fuck with John Walker. But again, talking about Game of Thrones and the Song of Ice and Fire, power corrupts. And this is the conversation they have right now. Mm -hmm. so they're at the prison and Walker thinks that Sam and Bucky broke Zemo out of prison. And Hoskins says, there's no way that we can make these ac accusations without evidence. Mm. Walker goes on to respond that, yo, we going off the fucking book. We got to get some fucking results. Narc. Yes, 100%. He's a fucking fed. Like I said, I'll never fuck with John Walker, but I think they've done a fantastic job with this character on this show and Wyatt Russell is fucking killing it. But yeah, Walker says that they're going to go off the book here and thinks that if they get the results, the U.S. government will not sweat them about how they got the results. But again, as I've said, I think twice in this episode already, I beg to differ. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that, that may be where we see his fall from grace. Yep. 
during which I wouldn't be surprised to see Battle Buddy abandon him. He seems to have a more intact moral compass than Captain Nark. He seems to be trying to pull him back from the brink and kind of having a mounting sense of horror about what is unfolding in front of him. Dig it. Um, and there, as we go through the theory section talking about John Walker here, my thoughts kind of changed as I went through them, but I kind of wanted to walk through those as we go through that theory section. But I, I think that this is a good point you made right here. So we'll keep that in mind as we get here. So now we cut back to Sam, Bucky, and Zemo here on the plane. Sam has Torres. He's on the phone with him looking for Danya Madani. Sam is very upset at Nagel calling Isaiah Bradley the American test subject and talking about him like he wasn't even a person. And we see here that he still continues to have reservations about the shield. Um, again, I think that, that Isaiah Bradley is going to be a driving catalyst in Sam actually taking that up. Um, and I definitely think we're going to get at least one more big scene with Isaiah Bradley, possibly two or three. Uh, and I think this, this lends credence to that idea I talked about earlier about us potentially getting some more scenes with Rainer as well, too. Yeah. So, so if, if, you know, if, if any of that stuff with Bucky as the winter soldier or them breaking out of prison, you know, Walker was like, Bucky doesn't need to be on this regiment with the therapist anymore. But if any of this comes to light, he's definitely going to have to have some sessions about this in order to keep his pardon, you know, intact. So I definitely, I really do hope that we get this, this more explicit, like I said, that cop scene with the race that we get that explicit scene here with the mental health stuff. Cause I think it, it, we need to drive that point home that Rainer is a shitty therapist because I, I think that it was shit, obviously with my opinion through the first two episodes that until I read that thread, like, I didn't think again, I, I was on the, on the fence of do the ends justify the means. And again, like I said earlier, plot wise, she got done what needed to be done, but sure. if we're talking about an accurate representation, uh, a good representation of what mental health and what mental health care should look like, we need something that explicitly says that Rainer is a shitty therapist. But but getting some more scenes with Isaiah Bradley, I definitely think um, with them back in the States means that we can have that potentially come to pass. Uh, like I said, Sam has these reservations about the shield, and now he feels that rather than giving up the shield, he should have destroyed it. Bucky goes on to say that that shield means a lot of things to a lot of people, including himself, and says that he wants to take the shield from Walker. As well he should. I agree. And I think as we see this fall from grace with Walker, I think that them taking the shield would not put them in that, you know, war criminal light again. Yeah. Um, I actually tweeted this earlier. I think Walker might kill somebody with the shield. But Torres gets back to Sam actually like really quick. And this is one of the things where I talked about the pacing of this episode and as they kind of jump around, especially towards the end of this episode, it does feel a little bit off. Um, I'm willing to forgive it because, again, they've got the six hours with the show and you've got to get these particular things in, right? So, yeah, they find out that, that Madani is dead and she was in Riga, a city near the Baltic Sea. And Zemo says, Joe, got a place that we can go. At this point, he serves Sam and Bucky some food, and he doesn't have any for himself, and I think this food may not have passed the smell check when he had that conversation with his butler earlier, because Zemo doesn't eat anything. Again, that fall of the house of Zemo, he had a broken-ass fucking fridge and shit. The fall of the house of Zemo is still different than the fall of the house of Baker, because if I went broke, my fridge wouldn't work and I would just be eating shitty food, but they're still on a private airplane. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. He was still royalty. Yeah, but Zemo says that he has a place that they can go, and he's looking forward to coming face-to-face with Carly. And to be honest, this kind of gave me vibes of Walker when he jumped back up on that 18-wheeler in the second episode and really thought he was fixing to go toe-to-toe with Carly. And we'll talk about this here in the theory section in a second, but... Ooh, what if Zemo ended up having to get some super soldier serum? Mm-hmm. Become the things that he hates the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we come back to the Flag Smashers at this point. They've got the supplies from the GRC building. Carly walks out of the building with Diego, and Diego says, you're not getting in your own car. And Carly says no and hops in his car. And the car bomb goes off. Diego didn't know about this. We we didn't see any conversations with the other Flag Smashers. It could potentially be that there were some other ones that knew about this. But again, these men were defeated and tied up and you killed them anyways. And this is the first time that I've taken issue with some of the Flag Smashers and not necessarily the Flag Smashers, but with Carly's action. Yeah. Yo, y'all, y'all beat the shit out of them. They're tied up. Who knows when somebody would have came and checked on them. It could have been days before, you know, somebody came and checked. They could have been starving and dehydrated and shit, but you blew them the fuck up. And this was the first time that I really kind of diverged from feeling what the flag smashers were doing yeah so now we cut back to bucky sam and zemo in riga and zemo talks about sokovia and how the country was cannibalized by its neighbors before the rubble was even cleared and he asks if any of the avengers have even been to see the memorial Uh, one thing i want to point out here i saw this on twitter today may have been yesterday was the fact that the end of WandaVision, the Sokovian lullaby that Wanda yeah. sings, is what plays in the background when we have the post credit scene of her. Yeah. And I know that we all took this as her probably being at Wondergore Mountain but when we saw that post credit scene, but I think that this may lay the possibility that perhaps Wanda had went back to a region that used to be Sokovia, and that's where she was in those mountains. What if they tossed Wondergore Mountain in Sokovia? I was about to say, and there's there's no reason to think that the MCU hasn't changed the location of Wondergore Mountain because Sokovia seems to be, especially with Zemo coming from there, uh, Wanda and Pietro coming from there, to be a, a pretty iconic place within the MCU. So there's no reason to think that that wasn't Wondergore Mountain and it's just set in Sokovia rather than, I think it's Transia, um, the, the fictional location in, which of course Sokovia is a fictional location too, it, within the MCU. So I, I just thought that was something that was interesting that I saw today that didn't really even have a tie to, to Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but has some potential, especially with the, with the comment that Zemo made there. They pull up the, at the safe house and as they arrive, Bucky notices something, right? Says he's going to go for a walk. He finds a Kamoyo bead. <sighs> Right outside the safe house. He follows the trail. And I'm curious if the if his arm has something in it that allows him to notice those. Because yeah. obviously Zemo and, and Sam didn't notice that beeping sound. But we can hear it as Bucky starts to walk towards the next Kamoyo bee. So he ends up in an alley. And he kind of turns around and says, you dropped something. And he turns around and looks and doesn't see anything. And then he turns one last time and fucking Ayo is there. First off, let me say, there were some of y'all on Twitter that were confused between Ayo and Okoye, and all black people do not look the same. Those are two different shades of people. They look completely different. Yes. Okoye is way slimmer and shorter, and Ayo is way more muscular and built taller and darker. So I... Their eyes, their faces, their mouths, everything about their features is different. They're just... They're bald. 
as these characters, but that's pretty much it. But that's like, the Dormilaji, all the Dormilaji. Yeah, exactly. But Ayo is there, and she says they're here for Zemo. And I'm very excited to have Wakanda in the fucking building. We did talk about this in a in a previous episode, and I'm 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 still on the fence about whether we actually end up. I don't know that we're necessarily going to go to Wakanda. We'll talk about here. We'll talk about this here a little bit more in the theory section. But the Wakandans are definitely involved in the plot. Well, we'll we'll get to the theory section and talk about that. But yo, that that ends the episode, and man, that was a fucking ending. That shit was. I, I know that we talked about potentially going to Wakanda, but like, yo, when Bucky leant over, when I watched it the first time, he, when he leant over and picked it up, I was like, wait, that looks familiar. And then I saw the second one come into shot with Bucky's face behind it. I was like, Kamoyo being, oh shit, that's Wakanda. Let's fucking go. And it was one of those things where I did the whole Rick Dalton thing and I pointed at the screen. Yes. And then Ayo pulled up and I was like, oh shit, Wakanda in the motherfucking house. Yep. Let's jump into the theories real quick. I think the the first one and the biggest one throughout this episode, right? Is Sharon Carter the power broker, Jenny? Yes. For me, my only thing is I I agree and I say yes. And I've got a whole list of reasons right here that I'm I'm going to talk about why. My only thing is again is for us, I think it seems obvious, but I'm curious about the general fan perspective. Sure. Because if it's obvious to a general fan, then I might have to revise this. But with us, you know, knowing everything in the world about the MCU, I definitely think that, yeah, Sharon is a power broker. So let's let's jump into a couple of these reasons here. Especially why. with the power suit photos that have come out. Oh, they came out. Yeah. And somebody said that's her getting her pardon. I said, no, that's her coming out as a power broker. Yeah. But I also would like to revise that tweet that I do have going around out there because it's gotten a little bit of traction. That is Sharon Carter getting her pardon in America. And then in a post credit scene, it's going to be revealed that she's the power broker. Sure. So now that means that she's not just stuck in Madripoor, but she yeah. can start making moves throughout the rest of the world. But throughout this episode, let's jump into a couple of these things. So the first thing is rather than reveal herself to Sam and Bucky and the Brass Monkey, right? Uh-huh. Uh, she pulls her hood up and dips the fuck out and goes and positions herself in such a way that she can blast the fuck out of Selby. Right in the face. I do enjoy that they're giving us fucking headshot realness. Yes. Loved it. Um, but yo, I, I do think that there's potential the way that Selby spoke and told Zemo that you can have the breadcrumbs, but the whole bakery is going to cost you, right? Yeah. The whole bakery, at this point, we know obviously couldn't actually be the super soldier serum itself, right? But, but we know it's not the serum itself. So it's got to be... I guess Selby could potentially be talking about Nagel himself and that she had that information. But for me personally, I think that Selby may be one of the few people in Madripoor that actually knows who the power broker is. We see them talk, everybody, we see the, that, that big ass graffiti thing of the power brokers watching 
it appears that like not a fucking soul in Madripoor actually knows who the power broker is. But okay. if Selby knew who the power broker was, it would make sense why Sharon, aka the power broker, would want yep. her dead. Yes, a hundred percent. This was interesting. Zemo says the power broker is the judge, jury, and executioner. Yes. Like you've written here, that's exactly what Sharon does with Selby. It comes across as being an ally to Sam and Bucky. Yes. But I also think, and we mentioned this a little earlier in the episode, there is a little bit of a wild card chance that Zemo could be the power broker. Yep. Or I also think that they could, that Sharon, I think it's definitely Sharon. That's, that's I, the train that I'm on. But I think that Zemo could be working with her. My only thing with Sharon being the power broker is I feel like it is very obvious. Yeah, um, but again, which is why I, it might not be that. But but again, I'm curious as to how it comes off to the general audience because that's the thing yeah. you have to take into consideration as these super fans, as people who have a fucking podcast about the MCU, right? Is we we watched the episode. How many times did you watch the episode, Jenny? Two or three. I watched it before. So I think it comes through very obvious for us, especially we know what Sharon Carter was. We know who she was, right? Yeah. And I, I think it, it, it makes sense for her to make this heel turn. She saw what Peggy Carter did, right? As the founder of S.H.I.E.L.D. And for fucking what? Hydra was infiltrating S.H.I.E.L.D. from the fucking get-go. Mm-hmm. Um, why would you want to give your life to the good when you joined S.H.I.E.L.D., gave your life to the good, you joined the CIA, you joined the counter ter- the, the joint counter-terrorist, uh, whatever it's called. And then you did everything that you thought was right and ended up helping save the world, really, at the end of the day. So, yeah, like she said in the episode, like, if, if I'm going to be a hustler and I'm going to be under the radar, I might as well get to enjoy, you know, the shit of being a hustler. Yeah. This is one thing that's not here in the notes, but we think that Sharon got snapped away, right? But that was, I think it's based on, I looked on the wiki today, the the MCU wiki, and their reference for it was Endgame. So I think that Sharon's picture crops up at the beginning of Endgame when they're scrolling through the people who got snapped away, right? Uh, we see Shuri and T'Challa and, uh, you know, all the people that we saw in Wakanda that, that disappeared. Bucky was one of them. They're all those pictures. But if Sharon's undercover in Madripoor, they would think that she's dead, that she got snapped away as well because she didn't make contact with anybody. Yeah. So one in if if she did get snapped away, that means that she's got about two years and six months, right, to accrue all this art. Hmm. Um, that is a massive art collection that she has here in her apartment in High Town in Madripoor. She's not in Low Town. She's in the better part of Madripoor. In this nice ass apartment. Yeah. And she's got clothes for herself, Sam, and Bucky to dress up in. That's a thing that would take some time to amass. So I'm kind of sort of thinking that perhaps she didn't get snapped away, and that she's been in Madripoor the entire time. And I think that that, if that's the case, that, that leads even more credence to the idea that she actually is the power broker and spent these five years while the rest of the world was in turmoil building her power base, right? Yeah. We see here also that, that Zemo calls the ruler of Madripoor the king. And I yeah. think this again fits into the themes of we thought that Diego was the leader of the flag smashers, but it was actually Carly. Yeah. Um, and so I think that plays into that whole idea of, we think it's a man because, you know, the patriarchy, it's a man's world, but it's actually a woman pulling the fucking strings, right? Yeah. More Batman Um, parallels again. Yes. 
She tells Sam and Bucky that they should still steer clear of the whole super soldier serum thing for their own safety. And mm-hmm. while I get that she's probably jaded from her time on the run, this sounds like something an undercover villain would say uh, to people that she at least likes and potentially even cares about so that she doesn't have to worry about having to take them out. Mm-hmm. Um, the deal she makes with Sam seems to be specifically to help them find Nagel and only Nagel, right? If she's a power broker and she can get her name cleared while keeping her identity as a power broker under wraps, that means she would be able to move how she wanted to throughout the world at that point. Yep. Instead of just being in Najapur all the time. Allow her to to actually make some more personal moves, you know what I'm saying? Rather than having to work through intermediaries all the time. Because we've seen Sharon go fucking ham on those people. And whether or not she's got super serial serum or not, she fucked up like that was a solid like 15 people she fucked up while they were in there talking to Nagel, right? Cut through like butter. Sharon seems to be the only one that was particularly upset when Nagel was killed. And this is because that was her source to the serum. And since Carly stole all the vials, there aren't any more available and you can't have Nagel make any more now. Um, for me, I think the most damning piece of evidence right here is when Sharon is like, nah, I'm not going to come with y'all. And she goes back, and it's not even like she just goes back to her place in Hightown. She pulls back up on her assistant, and I would think that all the henchmen that showed up at the dock, they all appear to be dead. So it's not like anybody saw her or would know who her identity is at that point. Yeah, that's but now really she true, because has- I wasn't really thinking so much that, like, Nagel probably doesn't know that she's the power broker. None of these henchmen probably know who she is. It, it seems like her big problems at this point are Bucky, Sam, and Zemo are trying to find Carly, and she's trying to find Carly, and then now she's got to deal with Bucky, Sam, and Zemo as well as Carly. Those are big problems right there, right? Yeah. That you got to deal with as the power broker. I do think that, that like we talked about a little bit earlier, that uh, Zemo as a power broker is an interesting theory as well. I don't particularly think that's the case, but... I do think that if the power broker isn't Sharon, it's going to be somebody that we know within the Marvel Cinematic Universe already, and they're pulling some strings over there in Madripoor, wherever they are at, and that would make sense why they're working through intermediaries. Sure. But yeah, I I think that Zemo might have some ideas about who the power broker is, and like we talked about earlier, he knows the Wakandans are going to be after him. He's, He's a smart dude. He may have even put it together that Bucky is going to meet the Wakandans right now as he goes for his walk. So... The same way we we were saying that Bucky's got the ace up his sleeve with the Wakandans helping him out with Zemo towards the end of the show. Zemo's going to need some alliances to make sure he's all right to keep himself out of prison at this point as well, too. I I still think that that Sharon is probably the most likely candidate for the power broker, but there definitely are possibilities for for some other folks to be the power broker. All right, so the next one we got here is Walker getting discharged, right? Um, I, I think the most obvious solution for him getting discharged is this off-the-books mission to catch up with Sam, Bucky, and Zemo. I do still like the idea of potentially something going bad and happening to Hoskins, potentially at the hands of Zemo or Bucky and Walker wants revenge. I still think that he's going to end up with some super soldier serum, but now since the Flag Smashers have the remaining files, I'm a little bit more curious about he how he ends up getting that. I think we could see him going rogue even without a Hoskins injury Yep, because he's clearly power hungry. He might seek out serum for himself even without injuries involved so he can go toe to toe with Bucky and the Flag Smashers. 
So, so maybe he tries to steal it back and he takes some for himself or maybe it's something else entirely. But I just we I think we are absolutely on the brink of the fall of John Walker and I can't wait. Yes, 100 percent. Fuck him. The potential maybe even Walker is the one that gets severely injured by by Bucky. Uh, Bucky seems to have it the fuck out for John Walker, right? Sure. Team. What happens if, you know, it's it's a three way battle, right? Between Sam, Bucky and Zemo the Flag Smashers, and Walker and Hoskins. And what if Walker's the one that ends up getting, you know, severely injured? And not saying that he necessarily voluntarily joins up with the Flag Smashers, but we've got this divide now between the Flag Smashers with Carly setting off this car bomb, and it seems like the rest of them don't know. What if they think that they give Walker some serum and that maybe he can help them achieve some of the goals for the Flag Smasher? Hmm. I, I think that's interesting, but I really don't see the Flag Smashers helping a GRC scab. Carly would not be pleased. That would have to be behind her back, which I suppose could absolutely happen after the events of this episode. So, interesting. Yeah, you know, just just kind of kind of throwing it out there. That seems a little bit more out of the deep end, but but that's a possibility. Um, in the same vein, I kind of think it would might a little bit ironic if something bad happens to Zemo during this altercation and the Flag Smashers uh, end up giving him some super soldier serum against his will. What if it's one of those things right? where both with both uh, Zemo and, and Walker, it's not necessarily that they want Walker or Zemo to work with them, but they both get severely injured and left behind and they know that neither of them want the super soldier serum, so they give it to him anyways. Sure. And, and that Zemo ends up becoming... The thing that he hates the most. I think that would be an interesting twist. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that pans out because I definitely think some crazy shit's going to happen. I, I think Sebastian Stan was in an interview recently and said that episode four ends with a big cliffhanger. Um, I don't know what that exactly means, but I, I'm curious to see if any of these potential theories do pan out right there. Yeah. So the last one we got here is, are we going to Wakanda? Are we going to Wakanda? And so I think it's definitely still a possibility. I just don't personally see any narrative reason for us to actually have to go to Wakanda. Now, I have an argument for this. Sam needs a new drone. Bucky could maybe use an arm upgrade after some of the shit it's been seeing lately. Although, obviously, it looked like he had no problems in Match War. So I think Sam's drone could be a reason. But they've had no problem jet-setting thus far in this show, so I don't see why they wouldn't be able to take us to Wakanda. I mean, I, I think that's fair, but... Also, but, uh, Bucky's therapy, like we talked about earlier. And see, I, I think that's more of like a post-credit kind of thing, if they do do that. Totally, totally. I, I don't know that Bucky, like you said, with, with what we saw with him in Madripoor, I don't know that he necessarily needs uh, any upgrades to the arm. And I don't really think... There's a need for Red Wing anymore because they got Sugar Daddy Zemo at this point to get them all the information they need. I definitely still think it's a possibility and it's definitely something that could happen. But I do think that going to Wakanda would pull away from the story in a similar kind of way that having Strange or any other person from the MCU show up in WandaVision, right? Yeah. So it's definitely something that that definitely could happen. It's very clear that the Wakandans still want Zemo for the death of T'Chaka. But I, as I mentioned earlier, it could be potential that Bucky has some kind of favor to call in and that he's able to at least uh, stave off the Wakandans for a little while and might be able to convince them that Zemo is worth more in his custody until they're able to stop the super soldiers. Um, But I 
also don't know that the Wakandans are going to go for this. So even if we don't necessarily see Bucky, Sam, or Zemo in Wakanda, that we could see a Wakandan scene uh, with some Wakandans kind of talking about, hey, yo, like, what are we going to do about Zemo at this point? But I, I am very, very curious to see how uh, this whole arc plays out now that the Wakandans are definitely in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But, yo, I, I think this probably wraps us up for the third episode of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. As always, thank y'all so much for joining us. You can find me on Twitter at Lord underscore Anarchy or Lord of Thunder. The O and the of is a zero. And you can find me on Twitter at Bloody Baroness or on Instagram at It's the Bloody Baroness. I still would encourage everybody to come and hang out at the Discord server. Shoot us a DM over on Twitter or Instagram at History of the MCU and we'll send you that link. Check out our website, historyofthemcu.com. Shoot us an email. Let us know your thoughts on the episode. Send us some cool shit like some cosplay, your, your pets, whatever. That's historyofthemcu at gmail.com. We will be launching the Patreon here soon. Yeah, we have someone lined up for an interview. We want to get, I want to get that recorded before we launch so we actually have some fun content for you when we're live. So it's coming. Every month you'll get a special non-MCU related episode. Uh, I know that we've got Pirates of the Caribbean and Glorious Bastards on the docket for that. Yeah, I think we'll do the character deep dives will be back there on Patreon. Uh, some access to any uh, insider info that we get because we do have a little birds. Yeah, well, we've, we've got a couple also, little birds at this yep. point. And uh, we're definitely gonna have some some Patreon only discord channels. I think the discord will always stay open to, to most everybody, but we'll have some stuff. Yeah, that- We're going to start locking some channels down for sure. Some people can see us live pre and post recording or you can have watch parties with us. So it'll be fun stuff. And don't forget to check out MCU and Brews where Zach and Jake get a little saucy and explain MCU movies. MCU featuring you will be launching soon where Jake has on a variety of people to discuss their MCU history or their favorite movies. Two of those lined Good. up, one for this week and, and Jasmine actually will be on on after the week after that. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, that'll be fun. That'll be really fun. And Pixar It Didn't Happen, my new NFL podcast with my pal Eflo. It'll be moving to its own channel, but the first episode is right here at home on History of the MCU Right now, we're kind of doing an every other week thing, just football news dump, but we're going to do a draft day special and get things all set up over there. And eventually, we'll be going with every week with the game. I got to check that first episode out, and y'all definitely should go. And, and if you haven't listened to that, if 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 you are vehemently against the Patriots, it may not necessarily be your cup of tea. <laughs> we are Pats but, fans. We do some other NFL news, but, especially with draft but, stuff but coming it up. Was, it was a lot of fun to hear Jenny and, and Eflo talk about some NFL shit. So I, I would definitely recommend that to everybody. Yeah, it was Eflo's first podcast thing ever. So we're Word. Yeah, so we're gonna be training her up over there, but she is a little fountain of sports info. So that was super fun. And having Fitzy on was fucking awesome. I couldn't believe that he was excited to be a part of our first episode. So that was pretty I neat. And you're fucking Jenny Mac, baby. What you mean? Anybody should be excited to get to do anything with you. Oh, that ooh, I love you so much. <sighs> but yeah. That's a, that's about it for us, I think, huh? So as as we say at the end of every episode, <laughs> bye. And hey, be nice to Wyatt Russell. He's just a dude. <gasps> ah, it's Joe. I saw him coming. I loved it. Joe, I love you so much. You're the fucking man. He brought me cookies. I know he can't actually hear me, but he's the shit. I realized how scary I was being until I saw myself in the video as like a close <laughs> to like, That's fucking terrifying. Yeah, it scared the shit out of me. 
Oh my god, sorry for screaming. <laughs> oh man. We did it! I can see Elsa behind you, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I got me an Elsa. I sure did. Had to do it. Had to do it. I am, I am a Frozen stand now. At this point, I actually put that's one of my comfort movies to go to sleep to. Yes, one of mine too. It's one of my big three. Tangled. That's a good one. I'm gonna need you. I'm a, okay. We'll see. I haven't seen Tangled either, so I'm gonna live tweet that cute. soon. I'm gonna yeah. live tweet that soon. Mandy Moore is watch. a treasure, Jake. What is it? Mandy Moore is yeah. the oh, yeah. star of that. Oh, yeah. She is a oh, yeah. fucking treasure. I'm gonna need you to check out Frozen Two. They're they're I know. it's a little bit, a little bit more split, but I I really like Frozen Two because I feel like it breaks from the tropes of Disney movies. Um, yeah, which it, Frozen it, it, also did because it was more about sisterly love. Yes, and of course, you know Kristoff and Anna. That's awesome. And yeah, we get we get our and I mean and you've got you've got Hans throughout the whole thing. That's kind of like the charming prince, but they they do something different with that. But yeah, even they in show that they can in, suck. He fucking sucks. I hate him so much. I the literal want, I want to spit in his face the same way that homie spit in John Walker's face. Yeah, I want to kick. I want to kick Hans in the dick. Um, but but Frozen Two even breaks from the them tropes even more. It's it's largely focused on that sisterly love again. Um, okay. uh, Elsa doesn't get any kind of love interest in that, and yep. it 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 completely strays from any of the Disney formulas. Um, that we've seen before in those movies. And so there are some people that don't like it as much as the first one, but I actually like it a whole... I like it better than the first one. I can't even say a whole lot because I fucking love the first one. 